Hello, lovelies. I'm back and welcome to Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlock from Think Chat. This is confession number 75, where we're going to look at how can we engage play in elementary through a conceptual lesson cycle. I know it's been a minute, and please excuse me. I apologize, but life keeps blowing up. I just finished um, redesigning a library according to the PYP transdisciplinary themes, and I got back home, um, back into Texas, and next thing you know, I'm engaged with two wonderful weekends helping with Toddle um, and their um, Inquiry Educator um, Summit. Fabulous, one of the best experiences I've had all year. And so now I have the pleasure to think. And as we close out um, this series on learning space design and play, I really want to focus in on how do we engage play for our upper elementary students, right? And ironically, this past week, I had the most lively debate with a very close friend of mine that is a sister. And we were actually duking it out over play. And she was telling me, well, you know, if you really look at the definition of play, really it's an unbridled um, exploration driven by learners. And she was saying, well, really, if you think about it, it's the early years where that naturally is happening. Teachers are obviously creating provocations, but learners are self-selecting. But then I kind of positioned back that, wait a minute, we can do that in upper elementary. We just have to have more thought process on what that looks like. And then she positioned back that, well, learners have a little bit more of a generalization of the process of inquiry and play. So is it truly um, created by students or the teachers? And You know, I just love having those dynamic conversations because it makes me a better educator. Consider things I had not thought about before. I love it. And because I don't want to be coddled, right? Especially since I'm full of a lot of opinions. And if you've been listening to an episode or more, you know I have my opinions. But this right here spurred so much within me And I started thinking about, is that true? Is it truly only in the early years? And then, as I mentioned two weeks ago, I was able to um, host a um, professional interest group uh, on play-based learning. And what was really interesting is we did a poll and majority of the participants were early years. And there were two brave souls that were in upper, upper elementary. And that gave me a glimmer of hope. That there are people out there that understand that this is not just for early years. And in fact, if you look at the workshop and how it's been designed for the IB, that speaks to it as well. It just looks different. And I'm a hard-headed person, so I'm taking that stance. (laughs) I am. I'm taking the stance that play can happen in upper elementary. And I'm going to go down swinging with that message in hand. because, And I think it's just how do we make it happen? 
And I've been dabbling with the idea of a conceptual lesson cycle. There's so many ideas of how do we make concepts and how do we get students truly engaged in their own learning through inquiries, through agency, and through play. I've looked at a lot of different possibilities. I came up with one that works for me. And I think it does lend itself to a conceptual understanding of transfer. The reason why is because the learner is driving most of the thinking and doing. And that's what we want. And I think that's how we can hook play in in the upper elementary. So what the heck is this conceptual lesson cycle? Well, I made it up. So you probably have not heard of it before. But I think the components you've heard, but maybe they were separate. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take um, five different um, strategies that have come together in their own way of how you can deliver a possible lesson cycle. So let's go right into it and see where do we see elements of play in this. So the step one is pose a question. You're saying, what, Lou? Really? That is so simple. It sounds very intuitive. But you would be surprised how many teachers begin a lesson with the statement, an objective. Here's what we're going to learn today. Even within international schools that I have seen, that I've worked in, I saw this happening at the beginning of a lesson cycle. Because that's how we're pre-programmed as educators, as we're here to tell instead of ask. And that's why so much like the work of Cass Murdoch, so many people are gravitating towards Kimberly Mitchell, now Misty Patterson, all of these people who pose questions more than they tell. And the reason why we're drawn to them is because asking a question elicits a response from our learners, not filling their minds with useless information. And we're not talking about an ordinary question. Come on, we don't have time for that. And you're saying, what? What do you mean by an unordinary question or a special question? I'm talking about a question that's crafted with your content in mind. Also, the conceptual understanding in mind that those two things are clearly understood. This is what I want them to walk away understanding. So in order to do that, you need to think of a question that's open-ended that's going to provoke them to get to answering um, what you want the, the ultimate target, right? That is so powerful, And I want you to clearly understand, you pose the question, you back away. You are not giving any directions at this point. You are watching. You are watching your kiddos, asking questions. You're getting the learners to monitor and document their own learning process. So are you for your own anecdotal notes to make sure you calibrate but you're getting the learners to do that. And unlike most questions I pose, (laughs) because we pose a lot of questions during the day, when I'm in this lesson cycle, I do not give my answer. And that, ooh, that I don't know about you, but whenever you're like in a workshop and you ask a question 
And then the workshop leader asks you a question back and you don't get your question answered. They know you're going to eventually make connections on your own. And they don't want to ruin that for you. They want you to have the aha moment. And so that's the same thing that I do when I'm posing these open-ended questions. I get them to reveal their answers and their connections along the way. I leave it as an air of mystery, and it allows the learners to ask more questions along the journey of this lesson cycle, so it doesn't feel like it's fixed, we're done. Pure magic, my friends, pure magic. So what's the next step? We're going to have a warm-up activity, and once again, it's about intentionality of planning. I present an open-ended task with no directions. You're going to say, what does that look like? I show them an image. I give them a diagram. I might give them an empty organizer and say, what are you going to do with this? Right? I might provide some manipulatives or some sensory materials. And you're saying, why would I do that with upper grade children? Because they want that. And the only thing is, I ask the learners, what can you do with these materials? How are they connected to the question we just explored? Oh, now you're building on prior understanding. Woo, woo. I know. You're just like, yes, this is amazing, Lou. I know. This is what we want. We want the learners to be able to come to us and say, what the heck is happening here? Here's what I think. Oh, that's music to my ears when I hear kids say that. Once again. The task is quite open-ended and allows for learners to play with them and to come up with their own wonderings and their own possible solutions. And we often share this through a variety of ways. Sometimes it's just that the you have a speaker from a small group and they express their possibility and teach it to the class. Other times we'll do gallery walks, especially if there's manipulatives involved, of where there's no directions, we literally go from table to table to see how did they manipulate and what are the ideas they came up with that were different than ours. And then we synthesize back at the group. Also, of course, utilizing visible thinking routines as we go through this process to reflect, to scaffold, and also to identify their aha moments. Notice Two engagements. I wouldn't even call them engagements because that weakens, I guess, the purpose. Two ways for them to play with ideas. That's better. I have not presented any new content because I want to get that prior knowledge going in there. I want to validate that these kids know. That also helps me while I'm there to not waste my time presenting content they already know boring. That's why you get behavior issues in class. Boring leads to kids not coming to class. Boring leads to kids disconnecting from the learning experience. So we don't have time for that. So I'm so excited at this point because the kids have had a chance to play with ideas, come to their own conclusions, and then comes to step three where I present new information. And let us be clear on what that new information looks like. 
I present a short mini lesson, 20 minutes tops, 20 minutes tops. I'm giving them a kernel, a nugget, a way of doing things, and I do this with all all content. I am not going to be wasting my time going into a massive long lesson, right? And this took me majority of my teaching career to figure out that I could do a reading and writing workshop model in everything I taught. Oops, sorry, I got really wild there. But it's the truth. And once I started to see that, I was like, ah, dang it. I've missed the point here all these years. So I want to give a snippet of new information, and then I want the learners to uh, that I want them to understand and that conceptual understanding, right? I want to constantly apply it back to that conceptual understanding. What's the big idea here and why does it matter? That's going to be part of that mini lesson. Then, at the end of the mini lesson, I ask them now um, to tell me how the open-ended question and warm-up activity connect to the new content. Once again, asking them to do it, not me. Because I want the learners to make the connections on their own. My role is simply to deepen the ideas through questioning and to clear up misconceptions. Because I need to clear up as many misconceptions before I go to this next part. Because if you don't, you're going to have problems. Going to have problems because then they're going to be applying and transferring new information in an incorrect way. And then they're going to have to unlearn and relearn. And we don't, we don't have time for that. Okay. So step four, that's play with ideas. And it sounds exactly like it is. With new information in their hands, I want my learners to be so hungry. They want to test it out. They want to be pushed to the limit. They want to problem solve. They want to come up with solutions to real life situational prompts. That is what they want to do. They want to work collaboratively. And I provide a variety of prompts from concrete to abstract. So meaning with materials, without materials, with numbers, if it's in mathematics, with text, if it's in reading and writing, right? Those mentor texts, with some sort of experimentation, if it's science, with something in regards to geography or landforms or resources or something in social studies or the human condition. I'm dealing with all of that. And then what's really amazing is then I get them to show their learning in a variety of ways. I allow them the process. How are you going to solve this open-ended task? And being in the United States, I hate to say it, my mind has changed a little bit from coming from international to the United States. And I'm trying to go back more international. But I have to also be mindful that as a teacher here in the U.S. or within a system that has an end of year, an assessment, I also have to throw a sample of what that prompt is going to look like on that test. Because if I don't, then I'm not preparing them adequately. They can be conceptual thinkers, but not be able to transfer their learning. So I'm also throwing prompts like that into the mix, not every day, not all the time, but I'm throwing it in so that they know how to solve those problems with that open-ended thinking going on. That makes sense, right? The key here 
is time. Time, time, time. And I know we all complain about not having enough time. That is the number one complaint that teachers always talk about when they are thinking about inquiry and the PYP. But one thing that I want you to think about is this. I think it's because we're filling the time we have with separate, isolated activities that don't connect. It's a waste of time. And if you've noticed, none of it usually is focused on a conceptual understanding of how is this connected, right? How is this connected to prior learning, what I'm currently learning, and what, there's none of that deep thinking happening. Also, since I'm a PYP practitioner, I'm also looking at, I mentioned about the different types of subjects. Why couldn't you also do this transdisciplinary? Why couldn't you do this lesson cycle from the lens, the focus of mathematics, but then look at it, the impl- implications of if you're doing money, for instance, or you're doing graphing and looking at the graphing um, information from the lens of migration over time to our region? And how has that um, changed um, the dynamics of um, the living situation, right? And in regards to the influx of different cultures, how's that changed the way we act and do and think? What's all the financial ramifications of that, of the movement, right? There's so many ways to make transdisciplinary connections if we think that way. And by asking these open-ended tasks, we involve more than one subject area. And Also, thinking of the lens of the specialists, how are we going beyond what's happening in the homeroom and bringing what's happening into the specialist classes and saying, hmm, I wonder how we could solve this problem in uh, this math problem in relation to something that we're learning in PE or in music or in art. Fabulous. Okay. Nothing is stopping us besides our imagination. And that's what it means to truly be open-minded, is that you're open to this way of thinking. And you will notice time comes back into your schedule. The more you embed less activities, more embedded, more embedded with skills, you're going to actually get time back. And deeper thinking is going to happen. All right. Step five, reflect. Speaking of time, don't forget to do this last part. I think reflection is one of the most important steps in this whole process, but it's often removed due to running out of time. People say, oh, we don't have time to reflect. We're moving on because we want a clean break from the weekend to the next week. We want it to be sweet and simple and clear cut. But what I want you to understand and think about as a practitioner is reflection is where the magic of metacognition happens. That's when children are able to think about their thinking. That's also when they're making relationships between things that they knew in the past to current. That's when they're having those aha moments of things that they've been wondering forever and a light bulb finally comes on. That's also when they recognize, oh... I've been doing it this way, and it really should be this way. Clearing up their own misconceptions and also making new conclusions. You get more information in, ah, that changes the way you look at things. All of that's happening when we reflect. 
And I think of reflection like a phone call. Imagine you're having a lovely phone call with your friend. You're talking about what's kind of happened this weekend. And you're just about to tell your friend what's going on. And then the line goes dead. You call back. No one answers. And you're thinking, are we done? Are we done with this conversation? Are they mad at me? What's going on? Did I do something wrong? All of those things are going through our minds. We're making assumptions about the world. But this is the same feeling students have when they're done with the lesson cycle and they haven't had a chance to reflect. It's very jarring. We're done. And they're like, wait a minute. I haven't yet connected all these ideas in my brain. I've been able to categorize them so that they stick. And you're saying, you're done. And the learners are looking at you, are we done? And reflection naturally wraps up those ideas and helps learners to synthesize them, to be able to categorize them. And if we don't reflect, basically, it leaves it hanging. And then what ends up happening is then as you go into a new lesson cycle, they're still, their mind is still reeling and they don't know how to yet connect to the new information. So think about that. Woo, that, that's deep. And that's why I say it's a lesson cycle. And when I say lesson cycle, friends, I am not talking about within a singular day. I'm thinking maybe it's over three days, maybe it's over a week, whatever it is within that section where you're talking about um, whatever it might be that you're learning. And remember, play and inquiry are so very connect- interconnected. Play is allowing learners to play with materials and ideas to find their use in various contexts. That's what play is all about. That's why play is so important in the early years where learners are able to play with sound symbol relationship. So when they go to read, they have that prior experience of playing with different alphabetic principle, concept of print, phonemic awareness. They've been playing with those things in natural station work, uh, with partner work, with the teacher. And then when it comes to application, it's like boom, boom, boom. That is the magic of play. But when you get to a certain point of play and then you want to manipulate and you're wondering, hmm, I wonder how if I use this in a new way, what would be the result? Now you've pivoted towards inquiry. So imagine if there's no play in the day, how are we going to naturally get kids to inquire? It's not going to happen. Or it's going to be so superficial that it's not going to be meaningful. Oh. I could talk about this all day. But this concludes our series on learning space design and play. Woo-wee. I know it's been a long time coming. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for sticking in here with me. I've thoroughly enjoyed this process because I've needed this. If I hadn't done this particular episode two weeks, three weeks before, it would have not been the same. So thank you so much for being patient. Now stay tuned for a new series. I'm thinking about what I'm going to tackle next. I've been thinking about concepts. I've been thinking about design thinking. And since toddle ties, I've been thinking about cognitive behavior, theory. Oh, you have to watch the session by Joe Amabile if you are, if you have a toddle ties access pass. My goodness. 
did my head in about how our beliefs and our identity impact how we respond to stimuli within our classrooms. And I'm really curious about this. So that might be coming next. So you tell me, what do you want to explore next? Are you looking at concepts? Are you looking at design thinking? Are you looking at cognition and the cognitive um, behavior theory? So hit me up on Twitter at ThinkChat2020 or on LinkedIn at Lou Gerlock. I would love to hear your response and I can't wait to talk with you in the next episode.